0: at 1st John chapter 1 verses 5 through chapter 2 verse 2 today. And uh, last week we looked at the prologue of 1st John, the first four verses, and launched into 1st John. We did some of the background of the letter of 1st John. And if you'll remember from last week or if you know anything about 1st John, he's writing his letter to Christians. He's writing it to the church. Most believe that the church that he was writing to was primarily Gentile, but probably some Jewish believers in the church. And he was writing to, uh, in particular, one of the primary reasons was to address a heresy that had invaded the church called Gnosticism. We went over that a little bit last week, and I won't revisit it uh, to, to a great extent, but Gnostics basically believe that uh, matter, physical things were bad, They were all infected in some way, they were all sinful and spiritual things were good. And an outcome of that belief or a a, a necessary uh, corollary to it was then that Jesus could not have come fully in the flesh and been God in the flesh. And so there were some that believed that Jesus really didn't come in the flesh, he was just a ghost, an apparition while he was here basically. Others believe that, yeah, yeah, he came in the flesh, but he wasn't fully God. Somehow he took on some some uh, godly characteristics at his baptism. Uh, So that's just a quick overview of Gnosticism, but it leads to several false doctrines. And so some of the Gnostics would argue a particular way about their own lifestyle, their own sin, and uh, they, they may deny that they had sin or they may argue that there was never any nature of sin in them. And so that is one of the first areas that John is going to address that has direct impact uh, for each and every one of us. So read with me. Uh, we've already read the Scripture once. We used it as, as our uh, uh, guide for our worship today. But the Scripture says, this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God." is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing to you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world." So John begins here with his primary thesis that he's going to launch into in that very first sentence, God is light, okay? This is the message that we've heard from him and we declare to you, God is light and in him there's absolutely no darkness. This is a theme of the Gospel of John and of 1 John, the letter. That's why uh, in our our series title, we're we're looking at 1 John from that aspect. It's it's a story of of light and love and life, really, that he is communicating. That's the themes that run throughout 1 John. God is light. What does it mean, and God is light? Before I give you a couple clear things, let me look at a couple other passages that help us flesh this out, because back in the gospel of John, we, we are introduced to Jesus as not only the word, but the life of men and the light of men. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, the scripture says, "...in him was life," so in Christ was life, and that life was the light of men." That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to, as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then look a little bit further with, when Jesus uh, testifies about himself in John chapter 8. The scripture there says, beginning in John eight twelve, Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the first thing that I want you to see here is that Jesus came into the world so that we could see the truth, so that we could have light, so that we could understand what is true and what is false. Darkness conceals truth. In fact, I'm, I'm looking on the, on the, toward the front row here to one of my, my good friends who was a police officer. My brother, when he served on patrol years ago, his favorite time to work was late evening shift into the early morning shift because that's when it was the busiest. That's when all the bad stuff happened. My mama used to tell me nothing good ever happens after midnight, and after riding around with my brother, she was pretty much right. Now the only caveat to that is usually by about 3 or 3.30 in the morning things slowed down because all of the drug dealers and thieves were tired and they got off the streets. Uh, But that that from sundown until 2 or 3 in the morning was crazy busy. Darkness can conceal the evil deeds. When Jesus comes into a, a life, His truth shines in someone's life or in a community all of a sudden we can see what's right and wrong. We can see where the potholes are. We can see where the, where the, the tripwires are. But in the darkness, it's really easy for us to fall. And I'm not certainly, I'm using, and Scripture here is using physical darkness as a metaphor for spiritual darkness. Jesus brings to us the truth so that we might see. He brings a light into the world. But the second thing, so that we can see where to go, so that we can see the truth. But the second thing that the light does is it puts on display our sin. And so oftentimes people will shy away from the light. They will run from the light. Jesus says this right after one of the most famous verses in all the scripture recorded by John in John 3.16. You have these words. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown as accomplished by God." So the, the light pr- does primarily two things. It, it guides and illumines our path so that we can walk without stumbling, but it also reveals our sin. So John's statement here up front is that Jesus came into the world as the truth who shines the light on our lives so that we both know that we are sinners and that we can see the direction we need to go and we can find the right path. And that that two-fold truth here that God is light, and then as he sends his son in the world, is, is gonna encapsulate the rest of this message. And so what John does then is he calls out the heretics on three primary arguments that they would make. In fact, some scholars believe that these three if statements, when he pick up on these three words, if we say, you see that three times in this text, and that really provides us for the overall structure of this text. God is light, okay, and in him there's absolutely no darkness. Under that heading, he's going to call out the heretics on three false concepts or misconceptions. The first one is this idea that you can claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness. And so John writes, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness... We are lying and not doing the truth. One of the things that the the, the heretics would say is they they would say, yeah, we're followers of God, but but there's such a separation between flesh and spirit. We're good in our spirit, but we're going to let our flesh do whatever it wants to do. If you remember, we talked about that a little bit last week. We're going to let our flesh can do whatever it wants because that won't impact our spirit. John says, if you say that you have fellowship with God and you walk in darkness, you're a liar. Good deeds, practicing good works does not save anyone. Scripture makes that clear. In fact, we're going we're to gonna kind of flesh that answer out a little bit more as we get down to the third, if we say, the third statement down here. But if someone says, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, and they're walking in darkness, there's no evidence of light in their life. They, they are not even trying to move toward Christ. They're hiding their sins. Scripture says they are liars, and they're not practicing the truth. And what John does is he gives us another if statement that follows each one of these. And so you have the the negative statement. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, that we are liars, then he'll follow it up with kind of an answer to that, with truth or with true doctrine. But if we walk in the light and he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if you say that you have fellowship with God, but you're continually walking in darkness. You're a liar. John, John remembers writing these things. He tells us later in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things so that you might know that you're saved, that you have eternal life. Well, the corollary to that is he's writing these things so that you might know if you're lost. If you find yourself continually walking in darkness, and you're not walking in the light, don't claim to have fellowship with God because you're a liar. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we'll have fellowship with one another. But there's only one way that happens. It's through the blood of Jesus. It's only through the blood of Jesus. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. Our only hope of true fellowship with God is coming, bringing our sin to the light of his truth and walking in the blood of Christ. Now he fleshes that out a little bit more because these are not all separate entities. These doctrines can't be clearly separated because this one, this truth of walking in the blood of Jesus is dependent on what we read next. Because his second statement here, is that if we I'm going to summarize it this way if we trust trusting in Christ is our only hope for atonement and standing before God he says if we say that we have no sin so if we say that we have no sin we're clean he says once again you're a liar okay the truth is not in you if if you say that you're not a sinner you're simply deceiving yourself john Understands that every single person has sinned. Every single one of us it, it, it has a sin nature. Every single one of us is, is uh, condemned to death because of our sin. And to say that I have no sin, I'm deceiving myself. Now, you've seen people do that. We do it by rationalizing our sin. As long as we think our sin's not as bad as our neighbor's sin, then we equalize that out. We think, well, I've got to be okay before God because there's a lot of people worse than me. Or we excuse our sin and we say, well, Lord, it's really your fault that I've committed that sin because you haven't allowed me to have this or I don't have that or I don't have this in my life. And so I, I, I don't have any way out of it. And, or, you know, the old uh, the idea that came from an old song, uh, I'm only human, so what, you know, what else can I do? Or or the devil's making me do it. It's not my fault. It's not up to me. I'm not responsible for my sin. The devil's one who's making me do it. And so we find all kinds of excuses. I remember uh, in my formative years and in late high school and into uh, uh, early college, one of the most popular things to blame was your parents. It was something your parents did or something your parents said. It was your environment that made you the way that you were. And so you weren't really responsible for your messed up life. It was because of what your mama did or what your daddy did or what your uncle did. Well, ultimately, every single one of us will stand before God responsible for our own lives, right? We're all responsible. And if we say that we're not by excusing it or by rationalizing it or blaming somebody else, if we try to come up with some other reason because of the bad things that happen to us, that's why I sin like I do. We're deceiving ourselves and we're trying to say that, well, I'm not really responsible, it's not really my sin. John says you're deceiving yourself and you're not walking in the truth. When Jesus, when Christ comes to your life, He exposes the truth that, yes, I've sinned. My life has been at times eaten up with sin. So what hope do I have? He answers it with a positive statement. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's where the good news really begins to flesh itself out. Because it's through the blood of Christ that we have any hope. It is through our confession, recognizing, coming before God and saying, yes, Lord, I've sinned. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I'm hopeless outside of you. We have to begin by admitting that we're a sinner. Every 12-step program understands this. Every 12-step program begins with this. Whatever your addiction is, you have to come to a point where you own it, where you confess it, where you claim it and say, yes, I'm a sinner. And unless in, in and until you come to that place where you're willing to confess that you're a sinner, ultimately, you'll receive no forgiveness. And John pushes the envelope as he gets to the next point on that. And I'll give you a hint. Because the next point is, if you come to the table and you say, I'm not a sinner, you're not only deceiving yourself, you're calling Christ, you're calling God a liar. What do you mean I'm calling God a liar? Because he says you're a sinner. If God's word says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and you look at God and say, I haven't sinned, you're calling him a liar. You're certainly not calling him a truther, If we, have, if we claim that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we've got to come to grips with the fact that, yes, we've sinned. Yes, we have sinned. And ultimately, until we get out of this broken body, we're going to continue to struggle with and battle our flesh. And we're going to continue to see sin trip us up periodically. We don't have to be characterized by it. We don't have to be overcome by it. We don't have to be bound to it and slaves to sin like we were once in the past. We can be set free from the, the bondage that sin can have over a soul and over a person and over our flesh, but we'll still trip. And John moves to that next point with this. He said, if we say, here's the third, if we say, we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we have now made him a liar. And so trusting Christ is the only hope we have for atonement and standing before God. If we say we have not sinned, we deny the fact that we need Jesus. And we've made God and his word a liar. We've, we've called him a liar. And so John, John here takes a pastoral turn, and you hear it in this language, before he gets to his uh, response to this third, if we say, this third misstatement that we have not sinned at all, ever sinned once in my life. he, he looks to his audience and he says, "'My little children, I write you these things "'so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, "'we have an advocate with the Father.'" That first phrase oftentimes trips us up a little bit because it seems as though John's telling us that you can reach a point where you never, ever, ever will sin again. That's just not practically true in this life. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 speaks of how he feels tied to this body of death, this flesh that continues to try to drag him down. And and as he walks in the Spirit and the the Spirit gives him power, he cries out, who will set me free from this body of death? And ultimately, until we leave this body and our spirit steps out of this body and out of the, 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 the flesh, the sinful flesh, we will never achieve perfection, and yet that is the goal and ought to be the the goal of every single believer. We ought to be moving toward the light continually. We ought to be continually confessing our sin, trusting Christ for forgiveness of our sin, understanding that we are sinners and without him we are hopeless, and moving toward God so that today, If you've been a believer for 10 years, you should be able to look back five years ago and see that you have moved closer to Christ. And you should be able to look back five years before that and see that there's been movement since then. Because if you're walking in fellowship with Christ, not that you won't ever stumble, but you will continually be growing in a relationship with him and moving toward Christ. And so John goes on to say here, if anyone does sin, here's the good news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. One of the best pictures of this word, that word advocate uh, here is the Greek word paraklete. It's the word that's used for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 uh, when he says, I will send you a helper, a comforter. But that word takes on a little bit of a different meaning in various contexts. And, And I want us to be careful there because sometimes when we do word studies, we go back and we look at what the word meant somewhere else and we try to apply that meaning here. Well, th- that just does not work in any language. Certainly not the English language, but it doesn't work in any language. I, I was listening to a podcast where Dr. David Allen explained this issue with the-, the various meaning that words can take on. And I was tripped up. He said, if you look at an unabridged dictionary for the definition of the word run, are you in? You'll find 80, no, 68 different meanings of the word run. I started going through them in my head. I could come up with three or four right away, but 68? How many of you ever had a run in your socks? How many, how many of you have a refrigerator that runs or doesn't run? How many of you have run to the store? You can go on and on and on. So ultimately, how do we know what the word means? The word We know what the word means by placing the word in context. Well, here, the word paraclete, the Greek word paraclete, which means one who is called alongside of, takes on the the image of an attorney. Jesus is standing in the courtroom of heaven as our advocate and that's why you'll have some of your translations that translate it like our CSB does, an advocate. Imagine it like this, the God of the universe who is a just, righteous, loving God, who has revealed himself as you learned last week in your growth group, also through his wrath. He is the great judge of all. And some would ask, well, why, why, can't, why did God have to send his son? Why couldn't he just forgive everybody's sin and, and, and not worry about it and go on? Well, the, part of the problem is just as John later on in, in 1 John chapter 4 is going to describe God as love, he also describes God as holy and God as righteous. And we're going to learn of, of God's love, but we're going to also learn that God is a holy God. And because in his very nature he is holy, he cannot live in the presence of our filth and our sin. And so our, our sin condemns us. And Scripture also says that we have an accuser of the brethren. In Revelation, the Scripture tells us that that. Satan acts as our accuser. So if you imagine yourself, there's four people in a courtroom. There's the judge who's representing the father. There is Satan who is the accuser. You and I are the defendants in the case. Every time we sin, the enemy loves to drag that sin out and to, and to bring us before the throne room of heaven and come before God and, and, and figuratively say, look, He did this, and your word, God, says that he should die for it. Your word says that he's deserving of corporal punishment. So what are you going to do about it? And that's where your advocate steps in. Your advocate steps up and says, yes, he sinned, but he's confessed it before me And I've paid the penalty for his sin. He's free to go. Jesus is our advocate when we sin. See, there's a difference in saying you haven't sinned or you don't deserve death for your sin or you don't deserve punishment for your sin or rationalizing your sin. There's a difference in that and coming in honesty before the light of the world and saying, yep, I can't hide it. I did it. I've sinned. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? And John tells us here that every time that we confess our sin before Christ, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. He is not only our advocate. Let me make a, a, one further statement here knew my time would be a little bit shorter today because we could go on and on with this incredible truth he's not only our advocate he's the only one who could be our advocate because he's the only one who was righteous none other was born into this world and lived a perfect sinless life and died for your sin and mine none other did that Only Jesus is the righteous one. So not only is He the advocate for our sin, He is our advocate, He is our atonement. Verse 2, He Himself is the atoning sacrifice. There's a a great uh, theological word that you'll see in some of your translations, depending on which translation you're using there, that uh, says He Himself is the propitiation for our sin. I don't have time to define all the theological terms for you, but this idea is simply how it's translated into the CSB. He shed his blood as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Jesus died not because he deserved to die, not because of anything he had done. He died so that he could become a sacrifice for you and I, so that we could be cleansed by his blood and that we could have hope of everlasting life that we could be made whole again. The scripture goes on to say, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The R that John is writing to there are all of the Christians in, that would hear this letter, those Jewish or Gentile Christians. But he also says, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Christ out of his love and compassion, took on the sin of the entire world. And this doesn't necessarily mean the sin of the rocks, okay? The most common and the, the meaning that makes the most sense here in context is Jesus died for the sins of all people. Now, that doesn't mean that all people will be saved because we've already seen it in the other context of this passage, There's some that are gonna deny their sin. There's some that are gonna call God a liar and say that they've never sinned. There's some that are gonna say they don't need a savior because they don't deserve death. Some are gonna say that they don't even believe that God is who he says he is or that he sent his son to do what Jesus did. And those who call God a liar will not receive that atoning sacrifice for their sin. But the good news for us here and the hope for us is that every time that you look your neighbor or your child or your, your friend or your family member in the eye and say, you know, God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for your sin. You're speaking the truth. Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Many will reject that gift that Christ offered on the cross. And many will spend eternity walking in darkness. Many will spend eternity separated from God because they have denied their sin or they've called God a liar. But for those who are willing to confess their sins before God and cry out to Christ to be our advocate, our atoning sacrifice, our Savior for every single one, who is willing to come to the light with our sin and lay it out before God, there's forgiveness, and there's a clean slate, there's a fresh start, there's new life, and the only place that you and I can find that new start is in Christ. He's the only righteous one who could and did die for your sins and my sin. What a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. God is light and in him is no darkness. Church, folks, if you're walking in darkness today, you are not walking in fellowship with Christ. If you have confessed Christ as your savior in the past, if if you say that you're a believer, but you're walking in darkness, you, you need to examine closely your own heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to reveal the truth because one of two things is happening. Either you never truly gave your life over to Christ in the first place and and you're just walking in that darkness without any inhibition or you begin to step so far away from Christ that you're not in fellowship with a holy God. If if, If you are walking in darkness today, I plead with you to allow God, bring it to the light, bring it to his spirit, and ask his spirit to reveal the truth to you. Am I yours or have I never been yours? And then respond accordingly. If you you would determine that, yes, I know that I know that Christ is my Savior, but I've gotten away from him, come back. The good news is found in verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're one step away from fellowship with God. You might have taken a thousand steps, but he's continuing to pursue you. And all he's asking is that you turn. You're one step away. No matter how far you've run, you're still only one step away from being right with God. Confess. Confess and turn back. But if the spirit reveals to you that you have never truly been his and if you were truly to die today that you'd spend eternity separated from him in hell, you better begin there. You better come and confess Christ as your one and only hope of eternal life. Confess your sin before him and ask him to save your soul. The promise of God's word is he'll do it. He'll do it if you'll simply come. So that's the invitation today. That's what I'm calling you to respond to. Allow the Spirit to speak to your heart. And if you need to, to turn back to Him or you need to turn to Him for the first time, don't leave here until you do that. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga, or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.